Hey, really good friends. This episode contains content that may be alarming to some listeners. Please check the show notes for more detailed descriptions and take care of yourself. Hello. Hello. And welcome to Historically Really Good Friends, a queer history podcast. I'm Rachel Craig. And I'm Jared Femblo. And I just realized yeah, I didn't brush my teeth yet today. Um, I didn't either, and it's way later on the East Coast. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so I'm glad we're experiencing the same kind of mess, the yeah. same kind of chaos. We are. How are you doing, listener? You know, mentally check in. Yeah, we never ask. Listening. We don't ask. <laughs> we never, so you you never us. tell us. Gosh. I know, honestly. It's like a two-way street, like. I know. Talk back to us. Ready? Please. Okay, let's give, we'll give a little moment of silence for okay. them to answer. Okay. Okay. Dear listener, how are you doing? Wow. Wow. Ooh. I'm so happy to hear that. And I'm or so, so sad, sad that that happened. I'm what so sorry. What a big sorry. surprise. And Oh my goodness. Wow. Congrats. <laughs> and thank you. <laughs> <laughs> right. All right. I covered. think. Yeah, I think that was good. That feels like we covered our bases. I think we did. Is that how they do like the talking head things in like reality TV? Do they just like record a bunch of different options? Okay, so I can only speak to my reality TV experience because I have worked on a reality TV show that did these floating heads. Right. Because I also, I like worked specifically with these interviews. Like that's primarily what I did. Okay, Jared's and bragging everyone. Everyone say, good job, Jared. Good job, Jared. <laughs> clap, clap, clap. Thank you Thank very you. much. I'll take a bow. So what happened on the show that I worked on was, because it was specifically a competition, they would ask a, like questions about the day, and they'd be like, okay, so like you wake up this morning, and how are you feeling? And then the person oh. would be like, so I wake up this morning, and I'm feeling really bad about what happened last night. Or they'll be like, okay, so you're in this part of the competition, and this happens. What are you thinking? And they'll be like, I was running down this mountain, and then all of a sudden I see this person, and I'm thinking, I'm not in the lead anymore, or whatever. And so they'll answer based on that. But there Based on the prompts. Based on the prompts. So they won't just be like, give us like reactions. Like They'll ask okay. specific questions that then people will give reactions to like and then that moment they would edit the them together when it's relevant right right but there were people that would come from other reality tv shows onto this oh. competition show and they would be like how do you want me to respond and our producers would be like oh no like we don't tell you what to say like because some shows will be oh. like we need you to give like this sort of reaction we need you to say like i hate this person whatever so it fits the storyline but our producers would be like oh no no, no like we don't we're not going to tell you what to say, but like, how are you feeling? And they'd be like, well, like, what do you want me to, ha- like, what, how am I feeling? And they'd be like, you tell, you tell us, like, how are you feeling? And it was, Shut, so there were okay. people, there would be people that would be like, um, I'm, I'm feeling good, I guess. And the producers would be like, okay, like, what else? Can, can you, you give us more? Like, can you elaborate? Like, what, do, to share. what does that mean? Yeah. So definitely depends on what reality TV show you're talking about, where like some people like <gasps> might give more of a like a guided answer a guided answer so i've (gasps) heard i can't confirm if you could work on any reality show and i know you're gonna say a housewives show so don't say that but if you could work on any reality tv show what would it be and this could be like behind the camera or in front of the camera okay so 
I will give you a Bravo and then a not Bravo answer because Please. you asked for yeah. a different one. So aside from yeah. Real Housewives, I would want to work on Below Deck because you're oh, on a boat. Me too. And the drama is like kind of good between the guests even because the yes. guests are can be insane. And then also the Always. staff. Yeah. And then non-Bravo show, I would want to work on MTV's Are You The One? Ooh, because that's God. a reality show that I actually fucking get into. So is I that would... the one where everybody has to find their partner in the light, the yes. beams of light? I want to be a contestant on that show. I want do to it. go. I How do you do it? I would love to. I don't know. MTV's Are You The One? Cast me. Make Please. an all queer season, which they have already. They have. They have. But, <laughs> but do it with you all men yeah just do it with at least one other guy that was my one well that is how it goes but right but like i i think the mystery is less exciting when no sorry not shaming by people i think it's (laughs) great that you're saying because it was it was more fluid in terms of partnerships right there was more of like it could be anyone here whereas if there's only like two gay guys it's like yeah clearly you're sure okay because you're right because you're saying your your match could not be would not be a woman right right so it takes some of the the stuff out of it takes some of right right eagerness out of it right Eh, I don't know. Maybe all men don't need a reality show. Maybe I take it back. Let's let's workshop you know this and no. then we'll bring it Excuse to the board. Excuse me. Okay. I would say they do because I think there needs to be more representation of men being full of fucking drama. Like we all know that they are. Yeah. Do you know what yes. I mean? So let's Absolutely. see it. Absolutely. Well, there see was it. there was a gay bachelor called Finding Prince Charming, and there was but one season of it. That title sounds lame. There was one season of it, and it was not that good. Yeah. It, like, felt like they kind of gave up on it halfway through. I'm also not a Bachelor watcher, so, like, I don't know – or Bachelorette. I don't watch either of them. I don't watch Mm -hmm. the – I don't engage with the franchise. (laughs) Um, No, I don't either. So I don't know that I would like that style of – Right. Of content. Like, Are You the One has more challenges and more, like, things going – It's the same reason I can get down with some Love Island, but not – Sure. It takes me a really long time to get through one season because it can be – Maybe this is an unpopular opinion. It can get boring. Oh, I think so, too. I can only get through a few episodes, not even. Like, it – The episodes are long. The people aren't that exciting. The challenges are boring. That's what I mean. It's just a lot of like hot people tanning, which I can, I'm like, cool, this is good for a little bit. And then it's That's my issue is I'm not like a hot person reality wise. No, I think I'm an attractive person. Sure. Okay. I don't think self-love. I don't think, (laughs) I don't think that I'm like reality TV hot. Like I'm not a, a, the bombshell, this bombshell is entering the villa. You know, like I'm not that bombshell. I'm like a, I'm a little tiny, like, baby shell i'm a little sand dollar sure you're a missile shell yeah rather than a i'm a li- i'm a little paintball sure i think um because I, I think those people are professional hot people like it's really hard to be a professional hot person unless right. you get paid to do like you're a model or you're on steroids you know Sh- and well you have a job that's not I, that I, I could get into some of those if i wanted to it's all feasible. modeling or steroids which which are you thinking of <laughs> which am i leaning towards which yeah. is easier probably the steroids it probably probably yeah, okay. probably <laughs> okay, check you back could get and... a little like joe rogan action going on and you're a podcast host i don't really know who that is 
Joe I Rogan. know he, yeah, I know I don't like him because I know that he's yeah. like not a good person. It's so I irritating. disassociate from anything relating to him. Yeah. But maybe <laughs> I'll start steroids and then take over his position as like a think, liberal Joe Rogan. Sure, sure. I think you should do that. The actual liberal okay. Joe Rogan because he claims yes. to be, you know. Oh. I don't want to get too political this early in the morning, but he does say like, same with Jordan Peterson, mm. you know. No, I don't know who that is either. Oh, God. Okay, we won't get into it. I live in ignorance, an ignorant well, bliss. Well, it's bliss. You know, they do mm-hmm. say. They do they say, say that it is bliss. Yeah, they it do. They do. But you know what? All in all, reality TV feels like a drama. Feels mm-hmm. just like, you know. A tragedy, all the would you life, say? All the, li- all the, all all the world's a stage. stage. All the world's a stage, I might say. You might say. And who also might say that? Who also might say that? You know what? I think one of our friends here that we're going to talk about, William Shakespeare. Oh, is he here? I think maybe he's mentioned. He's here. He's right oh, now. He's can, right in our green room. Can we bring William out? Yeah, he's <laughs> in our green room area. <laughs> okay. Sorry, I'm just getting word right now. He'll be out oh. in, 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 a, in a moment. Okay, everybody, right, please bye. hold. We're waiting. I did. I liked your finger on Thank your you. headset. Thank you. We're waiting. Let's, we're waiting. Okay. Let's bring him we, out. Can we fly him in? Okay, thank you. Yeah. <laughs> can, we, can we drop him? Let's airdrop him. Yeah, Airlift like a spy. him? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Let's attach <laughs> yeah. him to a rope and lower him in. Perfect. Because we love the drama of it. We love the drama of the world being a stage. Yeah. So, as Jared <laughs> so wonderfully, seamlessly alluded effortlessly. to. Effortlessly alluded to. We're going to be talking today about Sir William Shakespeare. Is he a sir? I just knighted him. Yeah, that sounds right. Okay. Well, if he's not, congrats. Congratulations. (laughs) You've just been knighted. So the sources that I used for this episode include Was Shakespeare Gay? An article by Dr. Will Tosh for Shakespeare's Globe. And then another article by the same name, Was Shakespeare Gay? From the Let's Talk Shakespeare podcast published by Mm -hmm. the Shakespeare Birthplace Trust. Mm-hmm. And then Sky Gilbert's review of the book Queer Shakespeare, Desire and Sexuality. And then finally, the William Shakespeare biography from the Shakespeare Birthplace Trust. The name on everybody's lips is William Shakespeare. William, everybody's talking about it. All oh these years God. later, we can't, we're just obsessed. We have to know. Please, Rachel, tell us. Okay, well... I I hate to break it to you, but today what we're talking about is unconfirmed, like many of our subjects. So I just want to say that up front. The story is going to be a little different than what we usually do. So I'm kind of going to be doing or attempting to do just like an even distribution of facts and sort of I'm giving you the investigation. I'm giving you the work that other people have done rather than some of our other stories where we like give very specific details of their lives and their queer experiences. So like I'm just... I'm laying a foundation of what people have speculated. Okay, and then I'm going to make a very conclusive decision at the end of the story. I will tell you. Okay, that's what I wanted you to do, and I want our listeners to do the same. So I'm not going to make, I'm not going to, I'm going to speculate. I'm not going to make a decision, but I invite you throughout listening to this to form some opinions. Okay, Can I I guess what your opinion is going to be? Yeah, sure. It's just going to, it's going to be, yeah, sure. That's what it's going to be. Yeah, he's going to be gay. I already know. (laughs) (laughs) And so what's so interesting that both of those articles or the podcast and the article that I cited, that that their titles were the same was Shakespeare gay. Like, I did not honestly know this was such like a controversial or like popular topic, I guess. I had no idea. Oh, 
his sexuality has its own Wikipedia page. Yeah, it's that people are chatting about it. So despite having only three sources, this question does get asked a ton. And if you are interested in learning more about it or like you need more to form your own opinion, it is out there. It exists. Mm -hmm. So was Shakespeare gay? Let's go through with our loyal listeners to see if we can answer that question. Mm. Ready? You mm-hmm. have your investigate your Sherlock Holmes cap on. Yeah, cap, I was gonna cap. magnifying glass. Perfect. Pipe, trench Perfect. coat. Ready. I was going to attempt to do a British accent because I've also been watching a lot of the Great British Baking Show, but I'm not going to. Oh, why deprive us of it? Why? Uh, because I want to save myself some dignity. Mm, just do it. You've already done a bad Irish accent at some point. In Have the I? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that one was unintentional. Okay, maybe, maybe. We'll see. We'll see. Maybe at the okay. end. Okay. We'll see how I feel. Okay. Okay. So William Shakespeare was born on April 23rd, 1564 in Stratford-upon-Avon, England. Mm. So since it was the 16th century, not much is known about his early life, of course, mm-hmm. because it's like... They don't even know fully when he was born. They're just like, this is when we celebrate his birthday. Okay. So it's just like, we don't know too much. But at the age of 18, he married Anne Hathaway, another it girl. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Which, real quick, sorry, already sidebar. Anne Hathaway, our Present day Anne Hathaway. Her husband looks like Shakespeare. I just want to throw that out there. Just saying. Um, Question, is he younger? Is he younger than her? Because this Anne Hathaway was also older than William Shakespeare, which is interesting to me. She was 26 and he was 18, which I find interesting. Did you you find that? A little bit, yeah. Because that very much seems like the reverse of... That time. At that time and this time almost. Yeah, right. And it's like, maybe she was like approaching spinster age and they were just like, Mm -hmm. get married. 27 was the spinster age. That's that's all that I can think about, which, you know, quickly approaching for you and I. But... Oh, don't even. Don't even start that right now. But anyway, so at 18, he married Anna Hathaway, who was 26 and, another shock, pregnant at the time of their marriage. With his baby? So, yes. Okay. Yes. Ooh, Suzanne, their first child, Suzanne. So they were like, let's get this show on the road. She was born six months after their wedding. Okay. Ooh. So, mm-hmm. Yeah. I don't know what medical technology was like, so I don't know if she knew she was pregnant at that point, but they were like, yeah, let's sure. get married. Let's let's do it up. Yeah, so yeah. at some point after their marriage, the family moved to London, and by 1592, Shakespeare was an established name there in London, which was obviously, as we know, the epicenter of all good things British, mm-hmm. I guess. Sure. <laughs> the time in between, however, and how exactly he became an established London playwright is recognized as the lost years of Shakespeare's history. So it, people just straight up are like, we don't know how he became popular. We have no idea. It was idea. just like one day he was famous. Yeah, it was like he lived in a small town mm-hmm. in England and then moved to London and then he was famous. And people Zero are like- to 100, rags to riches- truly truly so that's another thing we can speculate on i won't i'll just say maybe he slept his way to the top we don't know oh i would love that right who who is the top of the theater world at that point we don't don't care we don't know but he did he did did what he had to yes so that's what i'd like to speculate on that we're not gonna take time to go through more examples but that's another you have an invitation to speculate on that as well listeners okay (laughs) so many invitations today 
<laughs> I'm going to accept them all. <laughs> so nonetheless, by the turn of the century, Shakespeare was London's it girl, as we've talked mm-hmm. about. He is like mm-hmm. still the name on everybody's lips. Mm-hmm. 38 plays and 154 sonnets were published under the name William Shakespeare and people young, old, poor, and rich were scrambling to see them performed live. So knowing all of this, and that's probably what we already, or many of us already Mm -hmm. knew about William Shakespeare, why is there speculation about his sexuality? Like, where does that come in? Clearly Mm -hmm. there's some lost, there's the lost years, he's married with kids. Like, Mm -hmm. why is this a conversation? Yeah. So... Aside from some sonnets, we're going to focus today on the two main plays in question that are scrutinized for their queer under, or I would say overtones, and those are The Merchant of Venice and Twelfth Night, both of which Mm. I have not seen or read because I wasn't a Shakespeare theater kid. Mm -hmm. I don't think you were either. Mm Mm-mm. No. So I'm going to say quickly, sorry to my high school theater teacher who I know is listening to this. Yes. I'm very sorry, Miss Fitz. I never did our sonnet assignment. And this feels like a perfect opportunity to clear my conscience of that because I felt really bad about it. If you can go back into Rachel's records, dock her some points, lower her GPA. Yeah. I just wanted to apologize. Let's, let's redact that diploma. (laughs) Take it away. Yeah. Let's take it away. I deserve it. You I deserve do. it. So, so thank you. Thank you for that. Mm-hmm. So from those plays, again, The Merchant of Venice and Twelfth Night, a few things stand out for folks. In both plays, there are incredibly intimate but non-sexual relationships between men. So loving and desirable relationships that never extend to the physical but feel so real that a lot of people reading them feel like Shakespeare just like must have known what it was like to feel that love for another man. Cause it's like sure. so vivid. It's so graphic. And again, it's not graphic in the way of describing sex, but it's like, mm-hmm. how can you be able to tell in such detail what it's like to love someone in mm-hmm. that, in that very specific way, if you mm-hmm. haven't had that experience, which is sort of the first argument people make. Okay. So, for example, in The Merchant of Venice, the character Antonio, who is facing death, tells his beloved Bassanio, who is a man and his, like, BFF, his historically Mm -hmm. really good friend, Mm. to let his wife know how much he loved him. So the person Mm. facing death tells his BFF to let his wife know how much he loved his friend. Mm. He says, Which is, like, such a weird thing to do. It's like, I'm dying. Tell my wife that I actually loved you instead. Right, so weird. So this is what he says. He says, quote, tell her the process of Antonio's end. Say how I loved you. Speak me fair in death. And when the tale is told, bid her be judge whether Bassanio had not once a love. Which it's okay, like. Wait. Give me spark ahead. notes of that. What is he saying? So, okay. Okay. So he's saying like, tell her that I died. Tell her how I died and say how much I loved you. Like, say nice things about me, say how much Mm -hmm. I loved you and cared about you, and let her judge whether or not you ever had a love in this life. That feels vindictive, almost, but like... But isn't it crazy to be like, tell my wife I'm dead, and also ask her if, like, anyone ever loved you, because clearly I did. I didn't. (laughs) Like, (laughs) I did not. Like, isn't that... No, no, no. He's saying, he's saying to Bassanio, the man... He's saying, when you tell my wife, ask her if anyone loved you, Bassanio. Like, because how could she ever believe that I didn't love Uh you? Oh my God. Right? And I agree. It's so weird. 
to be like, I'm dying. Tell my wife I loved you. Like, <laughs> like it's just not, we don't need to share that. Right? It's interesting. But also, it's incredibly interesting that in a play at this time, he's writing that about two male characters. Right? So that's that kind of goes to this, and we, we'll talk about it a little bit later, but the type of romantic or loving, compassionate mm-hmm. feelings mm-hmm. that many of Shakespeare's male characters shares is interesting to say the least Mm -hmm. and then in twelfth night this same kind of similar affection shared between two male characters is often using phallic imagery to convey that with lines like my desire sharper than filed steel which it's like Mm. hmm if someone were writing an erotic fan fiction they may use words like that Right. You wouldn't probably describe how hard you are, but you would maybe allude to, you know, your weapon, your metal. Right. That's what I mean. There's always these weird words that are never like the words that people use day to day. No. But, you know, like it's always a member. Who Mm -hmm. says that? Mm -hmm. You know, like what is that? So right, it's right, the right. same it's the same kind of vibe of like this filed steel kind of mm-hmm. euphemistic language. 16th century smut. Yeah, that's it. That's what it yeah. is. Yeah. Yeah. Um YN, <laughs> like place your name here, you yes, know. Yes, that's it. Yes. Wapad. Yes, um, yes. So now I want to complicate things a little bit because historian Elizabeth Dolamore in the podcast Let's Talk Shakespeare does note that love and desire were not inherently linked to sexual attraction and physical Mm -hmm. romance as it is today. So Mm -hmm. today we may say like, I love you to a friend, like for you listeners to know when Jared and I end this call, we say love you, Mm -hmm. but Jared and I are not an item. Sorry. I'm (laughs) sorry to myself. Break it to you. Sorry to myself. (laughs) Yeah, should have could have Today, we may say I love you to a friend, but also say that they're just friends. They're not lovers, right? So if we say some people are just friends, we know that they don't have like a sexual love for one another. Mm -hmm. If you express desire and affection for someone, it often begs the question if you're romantically or sexually involved today, right? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. But that question would not have been top of mind in that day and age as it is today. So if people express like love and affection for someone, it wouldn't have been thought of to say, oh, but they're just friends. Like it didn't Mm -hmm. necessarily mean that they were linked sexually in any way. It wasn't as relevant, you know, it wasn't like immediately you put two and two together where it's like this person loves this other person, so they must be Mm -hmm. a couple. Mm -hmm. That was not the thought that people had. Everyone was sort of loving everyone else non-sexually. Like you just could have that type of affection. Sure, sure, sure. So Shakespeare was very willing to express male-male love, but that was not necessarily equivalent to male-male sex, right? Mm -hmm, So mm -hmm. that's sort of what Elizabeth, the point that Elizabeth is trying to make. It does seem, though, from his works that Shakespeare was curious, so he may be our first, like, cue-questioning subject here on the pod. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, because he expressed a willingness to explore these types of male-male relationships in a way that was fairly abnormal for the time, despite what we just talked about. Mm -hmm. 
So Sky Gilbert explores the idea that passion, not being seen as gay or straight, but being overcome by sexual desire, was seen as the biggest weakness for men of the Tudor era, similar to the way it is now. So what I mean by that is that Shakespeare and all men of that time would not want it to seem as though their masculinity and tough exterior could be broken by so much as desire whether that desire was for a man or a woman. Mm -hmm. So stoic emotions were seen as masculine above all else, and that could also be a factor which contributes to the vague language around sexuality, but also why people assume Shakespeare was gay, because Mm -hmm. he didn't shy away from expressions of romantic or sexual desire in his works, and therefore was sort of counteracting these masculine gender stereotypes of the era. Right, because the whole involvement in poetry right like waxing Mm -hmm. poetic about whatever like there's just more of at this time I guess you could say like an emotional component to it like Mm -hmm. he's taking a deeper look at things he's explaining his feelings a little bit more so I mean it does lend itself to the perception of being you know a little bit more sensitive or a little bit emotional which has always been associated with like femininity Right, it's always been seen as this non-masculine thing. So the stoicism and not being, not playing into that kind of male aspect could definitely lend itself heavily to this speculation. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. So another fun fact that may have prohibited the use of sex to confirm sexual desire between men in Shakespeare's works is that sodomy was, of course, an offense punishable by hanging. And now that's mm-hmm. not the fun fact. That's not fun. That's going to say, but Ooh, fun. what is potentially fun is to look at all the ways sodomy was defined during this time. So mm-hmm. it was such a broad definition that any allusion to non-missionary heterosexual sex had for the sole purpose of procreation was illegal. So again, Elizabeth Dolamore adds that, quote, one person, for instance, was prosecuted under the law for standing on a balcony, making a blasphemous speech, dangling his penis in a glass of wine, and then throwing the wine over the assembled audience below. Stop, stop, stop. What is the purpose of that? Get a yeast infection and then... I don't know. Well, that person... That person was convicted, so I don't know if he had a yeast infection afterwards. We may never know. But that would be considered sodomy, and it was. So that really goes to this idea that, like, Shakespeare could not ever express any kind, in his plays or Mm -hmm. otherwise, any kind of sexual desire aside from, again, sex with your wife in order to have a child because this was so vague. Like the way we think of sodomy today would be in the way that like the evangelical Christians use, right? Is just like non-straight sex. But this right. is just like literally any like anything. any sexual act that is right. just not like right. anything. And so mm-hmm. knowing this, Elizabeth says that it's certainly not impossible that he had sexual feelings for other men. It's not definite that he did, but all of these factors play into this idea that like it is certainly possible. Mm-hmm. So Shakespeare died having been married to Anne Hathaway for his whole adult life, so from the time he was 18, and having three children. Mm -hmm. If you want to get into the nitty gritty, it was three children, but one set of twins. So theoretically, Shakespeare and Anne Hathaway could have only had sex twice in their lives, but who's counting? But that- Us. We are counting. (laughs) So theoretically, they could have only 
had to have consummated their marriage twice. Okay, and so we're also then hypothetically saying that Shakespeare's body count is potentially just one woman it's, two times. It's, it's potentially one, yeah. Mm-hmm. One, Which there's one nothing over wrong two, with that. one half. Right, 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 right. nothing wrong with one that. One divided by two times. Two. <laughs> um, so, so it is assumed that he died the day he was born on April 23rd, 1616 at oh the God. age of 52, which is kind of weird and crazy. Yeah, very, very much. What I will leave you with is that our modern idea, concepts, language around sexuality exist as of the 19th and 20th centuries. And if mm-hmm. you're interested in that, see Jared's coming out episode for more on that because mm-hmm. we touch on history of our language a little bit more. No one we have covered, will cover, or who existed during the time of Shakespeare would have called themselves gay or bisexual and have it understood in the same way we do today. Mm-hmm. So from my perspective, we just don't know, which is shocking. I know, crazy. Ultimately, though, if you see yourself represented in Shakespeare's work or even Shakespeare himself, that is the important queer representation we need. So mm-hmm. if Twelfth Night makes you feel whole and valid, then let it be queer. Let Shakespeare be queer. Let those unknown parts of history be queer if you feel like they are. Right. And that is what I took away from all of the was Shakespeare gay questions. Right. And now, Jared, what are your thoughts? Drumroll, please. Big, I don't want to make a conclusive statement. Okay. I take it so back. you're changing your mind. I'm, yes, I take it back. I'm changing my mind. I'm forgoing what I previously said because mm. like you're saying there's unless someone specifically states which he never would have we'll never mm-hmm. know so it's impossible to make that judgment for someone obviously right. but like you were saying there's a lot of societal perceptions and there's a lot of key factors that go into you know the speculation around his sexuality go right. into how he was seen as a man in society at that time versus other men in society that are doing hard labor or you Mm -hmm. know doing literally anything else other than writing and being a poet and being a playwright and being in touch with his emotions and there were a few songs that were believed to have been sent to male recipients Mm -hmm. of Shakespeare I don't know if that was ever confirmed but it's like that didn't come up in my research oh I missed out on it let me before I make that claim I mean you can they're all claims this is all speculation we said allegedly once so it's okay sonnet 20 sonnet 20 is one of the best known of 154 sonnets written by William Shakespeare the subject of the sonnet is widely interpreted as being male, thereby raising questions about the sexuality of its mm. author. In this sonnet, mm. as in, for example, Sonnet 53, the beloved's beauty is compared to both a man's and a woman's. Okay, so interesting. And I do think that could go back to what we were talking about of like love and desire being somewhat gender neutral in a different way than it is today. Absolutely. It's also just so interesting because... In this time when Shakespeare's plays were being performed, women mm-hmm. couldn't perform these right. parts, so right. other men were performing them. So it's like there's also this perception, too, of if someone saw mm-hmm. men playing this romantic part and then misinterpreted it later down the line, like maybe some a historian or whatever sees right. this. And, right. you know, there's all these different factors that play into was he, wasn't he? The truth is we'll never know. 
Right. But like you're saying, it's a question of interpretation of how you see it. What's the lens you're reading this Mm -hmm. material through? Are you seeing this and taking it as a queer story? Like what are, what are you gaining from the work? And I think that's an important part too, is not so much necessarily was he or wasn't he dicking down some other guy right? (laughs) to put it plainly, but more so was his work queer was his could it have been seen as queer could it have been taken and enjoyed by a queer audience you know it's like all Mm -hmm. of these different questions of how of how a queer person relates to it or how they see it in their own life and it's more so queer in that sense rather than William Shakespeare being an openly queer man himself Right. And I think that that should be more the question, right? Just like what you were saying is, can I see myself in this? Can I see myself in the life that he had or the works that he wrote? And that we can answer. We are never going to be able to answer, was Shakespeare gay? Because he died in 1616. <laughs> um, right. But we Which we know be... there were queer people back then. We of know course. that they existed. Oh, of course. I mean, he died so he can't tell us, unless right. we host a seance. But until that happens, mm-hmm. which I don't think it will because I'm a little too scared, mm-hmm. we can, though, answer the question, can I see myself in this? And mm-hmm. so maybe that's the question I can invite you all to answer this week. Yeah, I think you should. Okay. And so we do. And we're going to leave you with that. <laughs> Thank you, Rachel, for a great story, for evoking such uh, such a question for us to ponder and think about, especially in terms of William Shakespeare's work and life. Go ahead and read some spark notes. Go cliff notes mm. that baby. Make sure you understand it or don't. Yeah. Up to you. Love it. Happy Explore pondering. It. Happy pondering. And we'll see you soon. Thanks for tuning in to episode 40 of Historically Really Good Friends, where we talked about good old Shakespeare. This is your weekly reminder that acknowledging the queerness of our history makes getting a yeast infection from sticking your penis in a glass of wine a little bit more fun. Please make sure to rate, review, and subscribe to our podcast wherever you listen. And to see photos of Shakespeare from this week's episode, make sure to check out our Instagram at historicallyreally, and make sure to send us your personal stories at historicallyreallygoodfriends at gmail.com. We hope to see you again next week. Goodbye. Goodbye.